Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Wow. Great, great worship today. Good to be with you. Good, good to be with the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Well, we are so thankful, like I said, to have uh, Todd and Nikki and their kids here with us. It looked like they traded in their kids for some new ones because they got some bigger ones now. And, uh, you know, but they're still the same good looking ones with good hair. They did, they got that from Todd. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, but uh, handsome kids, good looking kids. We're glad you're here, guys. Thanks for being here. Congratulations to Zachary. Graduated high school, getting ready to go to college. That's awesome. Yeah. Give them yeah, so, yeah, so cool, and uh, but anyway, so good to have them here, and and I was thinking about that when I saw Todd walk in this morning, I pictured a gym full of sand, anybody here know what I'm talking about, a gym full of sand, a swimming pool inside, and then shoveling all that sand out, anybody here want to testify to that one, yeah, I remember that very well, and, and I remember his handsome uh, picture, uh, if you put that up, yeah, that's the Todd I remember right there. He's a handsome man, isn't he? And a cat, a cat guy all the way. He loves those cats, and uh, you know he's just a great guy. Uh, and then I remember going over to, I believe, somewhere over beyond Richmond, Indiana, to pick up the youth group uh, with Tammy, if I remember right, to pick them up when they broke down on the way back from Kings Island. These are some of the fond memories I have of Todd and uh, Nikki. Nikki, I just remember being beautiful, singing beautifully. And just being like the perfect person. You know, the rest of Todd, he, he just fixed all the rest of that for us. So anyway, we're so glad that they spent those years with us. They were such good years. They went by way too fast. And uh, you guys, you meant a lot to us. I, I remember when you came here. Lauren, you were in our home and you were just a baby. And I think I remember Darcy holding you in her arms in our house that day. And you, a couple of you stayed at our house. And Man, that's so long ago in some ways, and you've meant so much to us. We we really appreciate it. Our son, Stephen, is what he is today, partially because of you, Todd. You you punched him in the head and told him to straighten up what he needed to be. So, you know, appreciate that. So, um, anyway, we're so glad you're here. Thank you. And uh, would you come and just share everything that God has on his heart for you to share today? Well, thank you for letting us be here. Let's just go and get off that picture real quick. Uh, I, I know, I, I, I still remember giving that as a secret Santa gift at a board Christmas dinner. Um, you're welcome uh, to whoever ended up with it now. I know it got passed around for a few years, uh, but it's, it's good to be home. Let me just say that. Uh, I was, when I ran back out to my parking spot way out at the far end of the parking lot, uh, coming back in and had to snap a quick picture of the church and just say, it's good to be home. Good to see you guys. Good to uh, see familiar faces. A lot of fun to see uh, two formerly scrawny kids, part of my youth group uh, up here leading. Uh, if I thought about busting out the old pictures. Um, Seth Neal, seventh grade, standing in front of the door upstairs in the loft. He loves that picture. Uh, comes out on Facebook about once a year if you're looking for it. Uh, Nathan Persinger, Jr., who was 
Uh, we were borrowing him as part of our youth group for, for a while there as well. And just good to see you. And thank you, Pastor Mark, for allowing us to come home and be able to just share a little bit about what God's, God's doing in our lives. Let me go ahead and introduce or reintroduce our kids to you just a little bit. Uh, there on the far left is our daughter, Lauren. Uh, I promised him I wouldn't bring them up on stage, so this is, this is what we're going to get. Uh, believe it or not, she's going to be starting high school uh, this next school year. Um, you're welcome for feeling old now. Uh, but you also have uh, me, the good-looking guy there, and then Zachary, who, as Pastor Mark just mentioned, just graduated from high school like four days ago. Um, and we'll be heading off to New York, to Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York, um, where we have absolutely zero family or friends. Uh, but <laughs> he's always been our independent kid. Um, you all know Nikki. Uh, I, I noticed lots of you said to Nikki that she's not changed at all. I didn't, I didn't get as many of those comments. <laughs> uh, then you have Mikey here, who'll be starting his junior year at high school, and Matios will be starting eighth grade, and Brayden um, will be starting his senior year at Point Loma Nazarene University in uh, semi-decent weather in San Diego, California. Uh, it's kind of weird that he'll be finishing up, but he's he told us to bring greetings. Sad he couldn't join you today. He's actually staying with my parents this summer, but uh, had to work, uh, which meant he couldn't travel with us. Yeah, so it has been somewhat of a carnival of a week. Um, Monday was our last day of school, and then Tuesday was departure day, which meant we said goodbye to all of our dorm guys and to the students. And then Wednesday, Zachary graduated, and that night we flew out from Nairobi. And then Thursday <coughs> was a very long day of travel, and we arrived in um, Chicago late Thursday. And then yesterday, we made the drive out to Indiana. So somebody asked me, I think it was Trent, do you even know what time zone you're in? So not really. <laughs> no idea what time zone I'm in or what country I'm in at any given moment. But when I look out and see all of your faces, then I know that I'm home. Um, that plane trip that we took, Todd and the younger three actually went on a different itinerary than Zachary and I since I'm dropping Zachary off in New York next month. And the first flight was from Nairobi to Dubai, and that was like just a little over five hours, so not a problem. The second flight was direct from Dubai all the way to O'Hare, and that was a 15-hour flight. And there was a point on that flight, maybe around hour 11, when I was thinking, I really don't remember a time when I was not on this plane. <laughs> and the one thing that happened recurringly through those 15 hours was a lot of turbulence. And honestly, it wasn't even bad, like on a scale of zero being smooth sailing and 10 being imminent death, this was like maybe a two. But every single time we hit a rough patch of air, the same sequence of events would unfold. It would be turbulence, and then the seatbelt sign would come on with its ding, and then I would glance over automatically to make sure that Zachary had a seatbelt on. So, turbulence, ding, seatbelt check. We did this for 15 hours. And I just want to point out, Zachary, raise your hand. Hi, hi, Zachary. So he's 18, and I'm pretty sure he has a seatbelt situation covered. But still, if you're a mom or a dad, you know exactly what that's like. That anytime danger happens to just even show up in the distance, your automatic first instinct is to want to protect your kids. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is right in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. 
and he's giving a parable about uh, who God is as a father and how we can all approach him with our needs. And Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 9, just read along with me. Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And the implication here is it's simple, but it's, it's really quite important. It's the same instinct that Nikki was talking about, that we have to protect and build up and fight for and equip our kids is modeled after God's desire as our Father to protect and, and fight for us. And our, our instincts as parents are just the tiniest little glimpse of God's character because God wants to give us good things. But it's, it's interesting. If you look at this portion of Scripture, there's actually a parallel account uh, in the book of Luke. And it, it's really similar until you get to the last part. In the last part of Luke's version, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So of all of these good things God wants to give us, we can infer, at least from this verse, that the greatest thing he wants to give us is the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I definitely grew up believing that God is good. That I just grew up in a wonderful family, and, and God's goodness was evident all around me. I don't know how I couldn't think that God is good. I had parents who adored me um, and loved me and, and my sisters a little bit as well, uh, not, though not quite as much. Um, they adored each other and, in fact, were those typical parents who loved to show their adoration to each other in front of us kids, weirded us out um, all the time, uh, still scarred by some of that. But I, I, I fell back. I've never truly been hungry. I've lived in neighborhoods where neighbors would come and knock on the door and ask to borrow an egg or a cup of flour. And then when you're on vacation, those exact same neighbors would get your mail, bring it into the house where you check on the house. And clearly, based on all the evidence that was around me, God is good. But what about when your spouse or your parent, or your child, gets cancer? Or what about when that phone rings in the middle of the night and you already know the words you're going to hear on the other side? There's been an accident. Or what about when your teenage son or daughter, the very same one who used to cry, if you would like run over one of the earthworms on the driveway after a hard rain, what if they're in and out of trouble at school, in and out of trouble with the police? And everything you try to do to help them only seems to make them hate you more. What then? Is God still good? Or what about if you move your family and your life to the Central African Republic, to a little village, and in less than a year, that village is hit with a series of attacks? What if right now it sits vacant? Almost everybody who used to live there is gone, and they've lost nearly everything, and it's not safe enough for them to go home. What then? Is God still good? And let me walk you through our last few years of ministry. It's been three years since we've been able to worship with you. And in those three years, we'd often get emails or messages from you where, where the typical first question is, what country are you guys in now? Uh, which, which was a fantastic question to ask. But since, since last we were with you, um, three years ago, we flew back from here to Kenya. 
And we, we had to hang out just a little bit longer in Kenya than we anticipated, waiting on security clearance in order to go to the Central African Republic. Then we, we flew via little teeny tiny plane and moved to a little town called Zimio uh, to work with an unreached people group there called the Imbordero. Uh, but also, one of our roles was to help rebuild the Zande, the, lo the local people, their church leadership, and to equip the Zande people to become missional. Then that next spring, um, we were evacuated twice, and as violence moved closer and closer to our, our little town, our second evacuation was permanent, or at the very least, uh, very long term. Since at that point, we just, we knew um, that it was just a matter of time until our little town was hit. So then after that evacuation, I got to fly back in with a few guys from our team back into Zemio in June of 2017. Just, just to say goodbye, um, to wrap everything up. And then, like we knew, a few weeks later, our, our little village was hit by rebel groups. Um, they burned thatched roofs, they looted houses, people were cut down or even shot as they tried to flee. And in a matter of minutes, this thriving little town was completely and totally cleared out. So after that, we, we kind of sat in limbo in Uganda, thinking, okay, Lord, what, what now? And we prayed and we met with church leadership and we tried to regroup and just try to figure out, okay, Lord, where do you want us now? That summer, after much prayer, uh, we accepted a one-year assignment in Kampala, Uganda. And I, I got to teach at an MK school, taught Bible and PE there. And Nikki homeschooled and did writing and photography assignments for our mission. Then the following summer, just a little over a year ago, in 2018, we moved back to rural Kenya, uh, back to RVA, uh, Rift Valley Academy, the, the missionary school where we had first served. And we went back into dorm parenting and teaching and our work with Kenya Kids Can, which is a lunch and computer program uh, for Kenyan students. So that's brief synopsis, and that's where we are right now. I think it goes without saying that this was not what we had planned. But it's been a really valuable season of learning to wait, but learn to wait with hope. In, in Lamentations chapter 3, uh, the author writes about hope. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with the book of Lamentations, it's, it's not one you typically go to for uplifting. Uh, it's, it's a book that is actually five different, a collection of five different poems about the uh, destruction of Jerusalem. And the tone is, to say the least, bleak. But all of a sudden you get to chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 21, and you get to see this refreshing glimpse of hope. And the first 20 chapters of that, or first 20 verses of that chapter are, are discouraging, to say the least. And we get to verse 21, and it just changes. Let, let me read it for you. So Lamentations uh, chapter 3, starting with verse 21, says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, 
to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Recently, I had read an email that came from our missions director, Luke Heron, and he opened the email with this um, reference to a passage in Jeremiah. And I know that I'd read it before, but it wasn't really one that I had remembered. Um, so Jeremiah is asking God to get rid of these wicked people. He's complaining to God, really, and then he's saying, will you please just destroy them? And God's response was not at all what I was anticipating. God says to Jeremiah in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in thickets by the Jordan? So after referencing those verses and the running with horses bit, then our missions director, he had went into the second part of his email, and I'm going to read it to you. He said, are we ready for this? I assure you, whether it is a lord, the devil, Africa, or just life on this planet, there will be a price to pay. The gospel is free, but the kingdom does not advance, advance easily or cheaply. It takes days, weeks, and years of concentrated prayer. It requires hard work and perseverance by many. It costs a lot of money, and it demands sacrifice and a willingness to suffer on the part of the participants. One of our unit leaders did an informal study on longevity on the field, and his conclusion was this. Those who persevere are those who have a good theology of suffering, who expect it, are prepared for it, and are willing to walk through and not away from it. The fact is, in spite of our sometimes triumphalistic rhetoric, bad things are still going to happen. Many, many people are not going to be saved. The gate is still narrow and the way is still straight. There are tares mixed in with the wheat, thorns and thistles still choke off fruitfulness in the third soil people. And here he's referring to the parable of the sower. Persecution and difficulties will burn and destroy second soil people. And the devil will still pluck away the word in the first soil. Can we run with these horses? And that was so interesting to me, especially the part about those who last on the mission field are those who have a good theology of suffering. The Bible talks a lot about these periods of hardship, like the Israelites waiting in the desert for 40 years, kind of aimless and disillusioned. They leave Egypt, and then they just wander around in the wilderness, like varying states of misery before they finally enter into the land that was promised to them. Or take Jesus, for example. He's just been baptized by his cousin, John, and God says, essentially, this is my son, I love him, and then sends him straight into the desert, where for 40 days he doesn't drink anything and he doesn't eat anything. And then when he's at his most desperate moment, Satan comes and tempts him. Those periods of waiting in the, world in the wilderness they can be dangerous for the heart. When we wait for a long time, and especially when we wait for a long time in a place of hardship, we can be tempted to think that God doesn't really care about us. We can be tempted to lose our trust. Jeff Mannion, who's a pastor up in Michigan, said this, the desert can be a greenhouse for spiritual growth, ironically, or it can be a place where faith goes to die. Some people say it was horrible, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, and yet God met me there. For others, it's where their faith goes to collapse. For the past three years, we feel a lot like we've been 
kind of wandering in the wilderness in this desert space. We can't always see God, but we trust that he's coming. And since leaving Zimeo, God's God's given us reassurance after reassurance after reassurance that he's here. He's coming for us. He's coming for the Mbororo. He's coming for the Zande people because the truth is that anything that we're experiencing is just a fraction of what our friends in Zimeo were experiencing. Um, let, let me introduce you to a few of our friends. Um, let me first introduce you to a guy by the name of Simone, uh, the big smiley guy right there, um, pretty much known for his smile. He's a Zande man, and I can honestly say we would not have survived in Zimeo if it wasn't for him. Um, he has one of the greatest servant hearts I've ever met. Knew very, very little English, but kind of became our cultural liaison. Um, somehow through like eye contact and hand motions, we figured out uh, until I could get a little bit more language what, what we needed. In fact, he took us into the market and showed us how the market worked. Um, which fruits and vegetables to buy, which eggs to buy, which ones to avoid, where to get water and how to get water. And he, he was just this fantastic, um, overly enthusiastic uh, friend of ours. And when all the violence came in, he and his wife, Antoinine, uh, fled to multiple different places. And last I knew, he's in a little makeshift village called Zapai in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And then uh, the second person we want to tell you about is Gilbert. Here we go. And I don't actually have a picture of Gilbert, but we wanted to show you his house. Nathan, maybe. can you go to the next slide? It's stop working. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so after the attacks, this was what was left of Gilbert's house. And he was also a Zande man. He lived just down the road from us, just like a few houses away. And um, it's interesting because Gilbert had suffered from degenerative eye disease, and he was completely blind by the time that we had met him. And you would think, in a developing nation, that this would just kind of put a stop to any of his opportunities. And yet, Gilbert was one of the most driven, accomplished men that I've ever met. And just like Simone, he really had a servant's heart. Gilbert ran this HIV ministry, and people not only from large swaths of CAR, but also DRC, Somalia, South Sudan, would come in um, to get these ARV medications from Gilbert, and then also to go through a five-day course where they were trained in how to care for people who had HIV and how to prevent the spread of HIV. And so he's running this incredible ministry from his home. My last, well, right now, we think that he's in Banda DRC. But my last time that I saw him and my last memory of him was when we were driving in the team truck. And um, we were going to the airstrip, waiting for the plane to come and get us for the final evacuation. And I knew that at least the kids and I would never be able to come back in. We didn't even know if any of the guys would be able to go back in at that point. But Gilbert obviously is blind, so he couldn't see us, but he came and stood outside that house and just stood there with both hands raised, waving to us just so we could see him as we left. And I feel like, I know that as I get older and I lose memories, um, I just feel like I really hope that that's one of the last memories that I can hold on to, is seeing that man of God who just loved us so well stand there and wave goodbye to us. 
And this is Mama Christine, uh, kind of our little neighborhood grandmother. Uh, she kept everyone in line. Uh, didn't matter who you were, what your age was. Um, if, if she snapped, you, you called to attention. Um, and she was just, the, the neighborhood kind of brought her in. In that culture, if your husband has passed away, you're kind of left stranded. She had no family around, so the church kind of brought her in. And she was this great pillar of faith for the community. One of those prayer warriors, um, constantly optimistic, uh, could chop firewood better than any of the men in the community as well, just independent, knew how to take care of herself. And uh, after our last night as a family there, when the attacks came in and through gunfire and, and everything else, the very next morning at 5 a.m., um, all of a sudden you heard outside of our door, you heard, which was their, their way of letting you know that they were outside your house and wanted to greet you. And here's this elderly single lady who's coming to our house to make sure that we were safe and okay and that everything was fine. And then when the uh, big wave of attacks came in, she fled via foot about 135 miles away to a, another little village called Obo, which is actually where this picture was taken. Um, when I went back in one of the times to bring relief supplies, it was, it was too dangerous to stay the night in, in Zimio. So we'd fly into Obo, this little dirt airstrip. We'd stay the night, do day trips into Zimio. And when some of the local people were showing me around, all of a sudden I saw this face and, and told them we have to stop immediately, thinking there's no way. My old man eyesight is failing me. And all of a sudden I get here and here's Mama Christine, 135 miles away, still being the neighborhood grandmother. Um, and then she sees me because I'm sure she never expected to see any of us again as well. And we got to greet and hug and pray together. And I told her I absolutely have to take a picture because no one will believe me. Anytime you think of Mama Christine or Gilbert or Simone, can you pray for the Zande people? Here's a people group that were driven from their home, maybe never to return. But when you pray, pray that God will still preserve their faith. Um, if, if there was ever a people group who should shake their fists at God, it's them. Yet one of the last times I went back in, got to hug people, and they're still praising the Lord because God is good. And just, just be praying for them. Pray that peace will come and they're able to return home. And then there's Chief Omar, who's actually not the guy in the blue. Sorry, that's misleading. But he's um, in that top right picture, um, sitting under the payout, which is like an open air hut. And he's in the middle wearing all white. And Chief Omar was an Mbororo guy. He was in charge of the group of Mbororo who lived there in our village. And he was just a wise, kind, welcoming man. And he befriended some of the guys on our team, and he would have conversations with them. He secretly asked for a Bible, which he hid. And then um, at one point, when we showed the Jesus film in the center of town, and we showed it in Songo, which was like a trade language that a lot of people knew, he then came to our team and asked for us to show the Jesus film in the Embororo camp and to show it in Fafolde, which is what the Embororo spoke. So it was very clear that he wanted his people to be able to hear about Jesus. And because of that, and then some of the conversations he had with some of the guys on our team, where he was asking question after question about who is Jesus, 
and some of the things that he expressed that he believed to be true about Jesus, some of the people on our team are thinking that he might actually be a Christian. And we don't know for sure, but we know that God knows, and we're just praying that whatever seeds were planted, that the Holy Spirit would continue to nurture those in his heart, just convict him toward repentance. And here's uh, some Imbordo kids. Uh, whenever I would go into their camp, there was always a group of kids who were eagerly waiting to, to show the white man around. And there's two kids I want to point out in particular. In the top left, uh, Halu, uh, big smile, wearing a shirt that's way too big for him, and Zechariah, uh, which you can't actually see, but the shirt he's wearing says Mililani Hawaii on it, which is where Nikki is from. Uh, we did not bring that shirt. First time I met him, he's wearing this shirt, Mililani Hawaii. No idea how that happened. Uh, but these two boys snuck out of their camp uh, one night. And I, I got to know them pretty well playing soccer in their camp. And all of a sudden, at one of the Jesus films, these two boys were sitting between me and one of my team members, and just, just watching the Jesus film. And that night, they professed faith in Christ. And I, I know the thought typically is, well, they're, they're young, but I'm going to guess that it, that describes a lot of our faith journeys, where it started young at a VBS. Sign up for VBS, by the way. Um, and just... It's exciting to know that the little bits of opportunity to share the gospel uh, started to take root in some of them. And, and pray for them that they will be a light in the darkness. Because God is a God of truth, He's a God of light. And I think all it takes, as some of the songs said, there's salvation in the name of Christ. And to know who God is and know that God loves Him, I, I just pray constantly, consistently for these two guys that what, what, what started will grow. And when you think of Chief Omar, um, when you think of these boys, pray for the embroidered people. Um, this is a marginalized group of people uh, who are just cast in darkness, but the light of God's word can shine through anything. And, and just pray that the truth that was expressed will grow and that they will continue to be open to hearing uh, the truth of God's word. So the reality is that right now, we feel like we're still kind of in this season of waiting in the wilderness. Because in his providence, God has tied our hearts to the Zande and to the Imbororo. And he's kind of hitched our well-being to theirs so that as long as they're still wandering in the desert, we feel a lot like we are too. But some moments are actually really sweet and really good. We've moved into this season where, as Todd mentioned earlier, we're back um, in Kenya. We get to be at Rift Valley Academy. And we love the work that's going on there. We love to be able to live with missionary kids. We love to be able to pour into their lives. We love to walk with them as they wrestle with their identity and sometimes ask some really hard um, like faith crises kinds of questions. We also love how some of them are already reaching out like missionally into the cultures, the people groups around them. We love being able to lead them in that and then also join them in that as a lot of them are taking the lead now too. We love all of their probing questions. Yeah. We don't know how long God has called us to uh, minister, how long that season will be at RVA, but we're just determined to soak up every moment that we have there. We also um, love being able to rejoin our work with Kenya Kids Can. 
Um, as Todd mentioned earlier, that's a computer program and a school lunch program with Kenyan children. And it is absolutely incredible to be able to see the difference that happens. Um, a lot of times I feel like work on the field can be really slow going and the results can take decades before you even see them. And sometimes you don't see any fruit at all. But with Kenya Kids Can, it's really beautiful to see how the kids are alert and awake and thriving and happy, um, to see the confidence that comes when they know how to use a computer. And all of that usually happens within less than a year of when we open a computer center and begin a lunch program at a school. We absolutely love being able to join in in the work there. Another thing that's been a huge blessing to us in this season is all of you. We love getting your notes of encouragement, and I feel like God absolutely is timing it exactly right. And how we'll hear from you guys, and you'll be telling us, in essence, we are with you, we've got you. At the same time, so there's lots of joy, but there are also um, really hard things as well. There are moments where we just feel disillusioned or disoriented, and I will sometimes stand in church and everybody else around me is singing worship songs. And I won't be able to sing the words because mainly, well, I'm crying. And then also I'm thinking, God, where are you? Where are you right now for our friends from Zemio? Can you please just show up? Can you please remember that we're only dust and breath? And can you please show up for them? Maybe you feel like you're in a desert space right now, too. Maybe you've been wandering there for years. Maybe, like us, the waiting hasn't resolved yet. But I want to encourage you with the same thing that God whispers to my heart anytime I feel like I'm losing hope. When my trust just starts to crumble, God always tells me that I don't need to look any further than the cross to be convinced that he is unimaginably good. I don't need to look any further than the cross to know that he loves us. Author Jade Mazarin writes, we have the choice then in this <coughs> period of waiting to take a deep breath, release our clenched hands, and let God be God. And we are invited to continue hoping in his greatness. In Hebrews chapters 11, 12, 13, uh, they talk about wandering like foreigners in strange lands, looking forward to the city that God is building for us, this unshakable kingdom that will be our true home. And you, as Nikki said, might find yourself in the wilderness, but this wilderness is not your home. Let me say that again, make sure we've got that. You might find yourself in the wilderness, but this wilderness is not your home. Hebrews 13, 12 it says, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So for all of us whose waiting um, has not yet resolved, uh, or for those of us who will soon find ourselves wandering in the desert place, we can fix our eyes on God. Fix our hearts on the city that is yet to come, that unshakable home. And we can ask God, the perfect father, as we mentioned before, whose desire is to give good things to his children. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help us trust him and preserve our faith when we want to believe 
that God is good, but we look around and it seems all evidence is to the contrary. Now, earlier I read a passage of scripture from the book of Lamentations. I just want to end with this reminder this morning. It says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. First compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let me pray with you guys. Father, I, I thank you for hope. Thank you for the hope of the kingdom that's yet to come. I thank you for the truth of your word and the fact that even in the midst of times where evidence in the world around me is saying that where is God, I can look to the cross and, and say that he is here. He is good. And Father, I thank you for this congregation who for so many years has loved us and poured into us and lifted us up in prayer, Lord. And I can't thank you for enough for the blessing that they've been to us and continue to be. And Father, I just pray for the people here. I, ju I just pray for their work in the community and in the city that you continue to bless it and prosper it. I pray that you bring the lost to their mind at all times, uh, whether it's across the globe or just across the street, Lord. I just pray that our hearts continue to break for those who don't know the joy of who you are. And Father, I just ask that you continue to be with the Zande, continue to be with the Embordado. Just let the truth of your word reign supreme. Blot out any darkness, um, any false truth, Lord. And I just pray that in the midst of a hard time, we can be like them and just continue to say that God is good. Father, thank you again for the truth of your word that you've called us that you're with us, that your Holy Spirit is a great gift that we can lean on and be empowered by. And Lord, in, in all that we do, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our attitudes, let it be glorifying to you. So your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you, everyone. If I could uh, have you guys do something, come down here a minute. And I just feel led to have uh, all of you come up here and get around them and just pray for them today. And uh, we're going to stay and eat tacos with them, and you're going to have time to talk and fellowship with them, and that's going to be great. But, but right now, just come on up here. If you know them or if you don't know them, if you know Jesus, come on up here. How's that? And uh, let's just gather around them. We're going to pray for them right now. I want your kids to come up here too. Come on, guys. Just squish on in here. It's okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Come on up. Father, right now we just want to thank you and praise you for what uh, you're using Todd and Nikki for and for doing this great things that we're hearing about in their lives. And Lord, I know that right now they'd love to report that uh, everything went well and that the whole village has come to Christ. And Lord, it hasn't worked out like that. And I heard Nikki's heart, and I feel her pain right now, Lord, in Todd's. And, 
Lord, I don't know these people. I don't even know what that looks like. I couldn't even begin to imagine, but God, you do. You know where every one of those souls and those hearts are right now. You know their hurt. You know their pain. God, I just want to pray for them right now. There's Andy people, Lord, that you will be with them, that you in this very moment will go to them and that there will be a a place where you'll manifest your presence in such a way that they'll know that that others around the world are praying for them and, and cheering for them and believing for them and knowing that God is able, more than able, to do what he said he will do. That there may be a day when Todd and Nikki are able to go back in and present the gospel to them and tell them about Jesus. Lord, we believe you're able to do that. You're bigger than this situation by far. God, I pray right now for Todd and Nikki. God, I pray. I know they're tired. I know they're weary. The flight home enough to make you weary. Just the thought of it made me weary. But Lord, I know that you are the God who refreshes and gives hope. And today, Lord, I pray that Todd and Nikki will just feel hope in their soul. Hope that, God, they're not alone. They're not walking this side of the, the earth on their own. Lord, they're walking along with a group of people who love them and care about them, who believe in them, who have sent them and who trust. And Lord, right now, we're all walking in places that are tough. There's a lot of desert out here right now, but God, you're a big God and you're able to overcome it. And so, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that Todd and Nikki will find joy on this uh, trip home and that they'll find rest and they'll find a place of, of peace and that they'll hear your voice and that the vision for what you want them to do will be refreshed in their heart and their mind and that they will just know that you are, your mercies are brand new every day and that you just continue to bless. And Lord, I pray right now for uh, Zachary as he begins school. He's going to a place where he knows no one. And Lord, that's, that's okay because he knows one, he knows you. And Lord, I pray that you will use this young man, that you will fill him with your presence and that he will be a spark, a, a spark that will start a fire and that there will be a, a, a fire, a revival that will break out in that school because Zachary goes there to love people and to love you and he does it well. And I pray for the rest of the kids, Lord. I think of them all, Lord. Uh, and we just pray for them this time they hear that they will just sense the presence of Jesus very close. Lord, Thank you for the years we've had together. Thank you for loving us and being here with us. Thank you, Lord, for just providing for us so well. Thank you, Lord, for the good times. Thank you, Lord, for the struggles. And, Lord, in all things, thank you that you were here. And we just give you praise. Fill us again today, Lord. Fill Todd and Nikki fresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Pour it out on them, Lord. May today just be a refreshing a refreshing shower of your blessings, Lord, and may they just feel your presence as they leave this place. And Lord, I pray right now for the food that we're about to eat. Uh, we are going to pray for it now. Lord, bless it and uh, make us uh, uh, full and make us uh, nourish our bodies with it. And Lord, I pray that, uh, uh, that you uh, will receive glory and honor and praise and that you will bless those who put it all together. And uh, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.